Demonte Jones did so much for this secondary group. We saw the maturation, and I'm excited to see what he does um, on this uh, LSU defense. Think about the fact of what Tom Brady just did, getting to the Super Bowl with another franchise in the first season. If he's not the best athlete ever, he will solidify and has, in my mind, solidified himself as the most successful athlete ever. What is going on, Vikings fans? Welcome to episode number 77 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I'm going to start this show off right away as I'm joined by Vikings.com's Gabe Henderson and, of course, producer Jay Nelson. The offseason is in full swing here with the Vikings, and we've just been taking these, these shorter versions of the Minnesota Vikings podcast to give you some updates on all the things that are going on um, with the Vikings, with the coaching staff. Uh, another big member of the Vikings coaching staff has left the organization, and that's Durante Jones, who last season was the Vikings defensive backs coach. Now he's the defensive coordinator of the LSU Tigers, Gabe. So I'll just start there and, and kind of talk about what Durante did with the organization so far and, and what he meant to the Vikings and, and what he's going on to do with LSU. Yeah, I think it's a great move for Durante Jones. I mean, this is his 13th coaching change in the past 20 years, uh, his 20-year career, put it that way. But um, doesn't have to change his jersey colors that much, you know, purple and gold. And, Jay, Jay, you and I were talking, I guess this is the penalty that we get for drafting Justin Jefferson and him going and being all pro this year. But, you know, he did so much. Durante Jones did so much for this secondary group. We saw the maturation of uh, Cam Dancer, Jeff Gladney. I mean, those are two – cornerbacks of the future right there just seeing their growth under his tutelage I mean we saw uh, Harrison Smith have a resurgence in his career I mean this this Viking secondary they, they didn't have the year that they wanted to but having all these new corners new faces with a new coach I think we saw the progression of that group and under Durante Jones 15 interceptions as a group I think that's top 10 in the NFL this past year uh, he, he did what he had to do and I'm excited to see what he does um, on this uh, LSU defense, because LSU, we, we saw coming off that 2019 national championship uh, that, you know, they had a lot of guys leave and then 2020, not the best year. So I, I think he is a great addition to that uh, LSU team. And it'll be interesting to see what the Vikings do to fill that defensive back coaching position void. Durante Jones joined the Vikings after two years with the Cincinnati Bengals. And before that, two years as assistant defensive backs coach with the Miami Dolphins. One thing that I remember, Gabe and Jay, is uh, when he was first hired two years ago by Mike Zimmer, uh, there was an X's and O's interview with Paul Allen where where he was like, this young Durante Jones, I could see him being a head coach someday. Like when Mike Zimmer says a young coach <laughs> is going to be a head coach someday, that that really is something that stood out to me. And I always thought about that when I when I watched Durante coach um, a bunch of these young defensive backs the past couple of years. I mean, he certainly had a tall task um, with what he had to deal with this year. With I mean, we we've talked about it all year long on the Minnesota Vikings podcast about how many snaps. 
these rookies took at that position uh, this year, and that was all led by Durante Jones. So congrats to him. I mean, to get that job with the LSU team who won the national championship with Justin Jefferson just two years ago, uh, this past season they did not have the year uh, that, that they are accustomed to. They were 99th um, in the nation in their defensive rankings um, via sportsreference.com. So definitely uh, there is some improvement needed there from the the former national champions, Jay. But uh, what do you think Durante Jones will bring to the LSU Tigers? Um, I think if if he is able to do anything close to what he did this year with such a young and and I guess uh, inexperienced and diverse group, but but with the talent, he was able to you know polish that coal into diamonds during the season. I think um, for for someone like LSU who has all of the talent that they've had, they always have great recruiting. They've had success. For them to to precipitously kind of basically, if you look at the numbers in 2016, they were fifth. 2017, they were 14th. 2018, 26th. Then the 33rd when they won the national championship, and this year to drop all the way to 99th. I think at LSU they're going to be looking at this situation and just say we need a change. And for someone like him who's got the pedigree, he's coached all over the place. He's shown that he is trusted, and I think with the comment you just had made with with a guy like Zimmer, where that is his pet project. That is his group that he wants to work with, and that is the guy that Zimmer had chose to work with, let alone the fact that um, when he was with Wisconsin from before, that is how he kind of got recommended to get to LSU. So for him to have the success that he's had and, and for people to have nothing but good things to say, I think LSU made a smart hire on their end, and I think Coach O is going to be happy with what he's going to get out of his defense moving forward. That is for sure. I'm, I, I can't even imagine the amount of – there's coaches all over the league that have just since being under head coach Mike Zimmer have taken these opportunities at other organizations. Obviously, Kevin Stefanski uh, taking that Cleveland Browns head coaching position, but I'm thinking of my guy, Jonathan Gannon, who was actually the defensive backs um, assistant uh, when I started in 2015, he now just took a job as the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles after spending a few years with the Indianapolis Colts as their defensive backs coach. So there is just the Zimmer tutelage, especially on the defensive side of the ball, all over the league, obviously in college football as well with Durante now taking this big-time position. But it, it, it's pretty amazing um, the, the, the amount of young coaches that are getting these big time jobs at this point, especially in college football in the NFL. And, uh, it's definitely a fun thing to track, but, uh, I'm going to throw this at you, Gabe, kind of when you look at, at that defensive backs vacancy that's left by Durante Jones, do is there anyone that comes to mind? Like any, like not even just speculating, but just thinking around the league and, and, and what the Vikings have in-house. Is there anybody that you can see filling that role? I think the the early contender for me, and like I said, this is just my opinion, is Mike Reed from Clemson. He's their defensive back coach. I mean, he's coached some really good players from uh, Alexander McKenzie, who played there. I mean, he coached uh, Cordray Tankersley, who was on the Vikings the, the past few games this year. I mean, I think his biggest you know guy that he's coached is probably Bashad Breeland. I mean, he, he has a few guys that he has under his repertoire that he has coached at Clemson that could translate to the NFL with, you know, our young secondary. And then you got a guy like, you know, Harrison Smith, who's going to help out with, you know, being the coach on the field. But Mike Reed right now, personally, is just the obvious guy. Uh, 
there's a lot of coaches out here. I mean, you got Charles Keller. I think he's like the high. Well, he's making put it this way. He's making some good money to stay at Alabama. And, you know, having Patrick Sortan under his belt this past year and all the other guys that he's coached, I think those are two names right there. But I, I think my choice would be uh, Mike Reed, who, who's coming out of Clemson. Throwing some college names around there. I love it. Yeah, man. Get, let the guys get some love. We'll have to wait and see what happens at that position. Obviously, um, last week, general manager Rick Spielman said that the Vikings will not be replacing uh, George Payton at that assistant general manager position, so there will be some in-house maybe movement um, to fill that void. And then the other thing that we will continue to track, and I'm sure Vikings fans are tracking on their own already, is the offensive coordinator vacancy that we covered last week that is left by the legendary Gary Kubiak following his retirement. I mean, guys, I think Clint Kubiak is is the perfect guy for the role. I know he's a little bit more of a quiet um, member of the Vikings coaching staff, but I also do know the trust and relationship that he has with Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. So, um, Jay, I'll throw, throw this one at you. Is, is there any updates on the Vikings offensive coordinator search as we kind of sit here and wait to see what happens? Uh, all indications at this point is that they're going through the process. It's it's usually a little, little lengthy just in general for all the different rules that the NFL has and then internally as well. I know there are internal candidates. I'm sure that uh, Clint is definitely somebody that's on the list that they're going to talk to, but they're going to dot their I's and cross their T's and, and look at coaches not only in college, but also in pros. And my guess is that you've also got some coaches and other staffs that are currently still playing that they would like to at least talk to. So given the way that all this stuff works and some of the new rules that have happened over the last couple of years with the league, this process will play out a little bit. But the nice thing at this point for us is we have a little bit of time. So I know scouting and Rick and those guys are all dealing with the senior bowl. But um, as far as the the coaching search and, and that kind of stuff goes between offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, and now, you know, defensive backs coach, all this stuff will play out here over the next couple of weeks. And I'm sure we'll start to get some nuggets and some some drips coming out in the media that they'll they'll let us know kind of what they're hearing for rumbles. But we will keep you up to speed on what's happening. A jam-packed show here. We have mock drafts. We're going to cover what happened last weekend watching those games. I can't even tell you guys how uh, it was just one of the best football weekends that I could remember in a very long time when it comes to watching Aaron Rodgers take on Tom Brady um, in a playoff game, which has never even happened before, which is, is pretty ins- – it's it's just insane to me. Uh, that was one of the most entertaining football games I've ever watched. So we're going to get to all of that coming up. But first I want to talk about um, a Dalvin Cook press conference that took place this week, uh, obviously following the loss of his father. Uh, he's, he's been grieving away from the team since missing that last game of the season. So to hear from Dalvin Cook and to see the relationship that he has with the media, um, he was honored with the Corey Stringer Good Guy Award, which is given to the Viking that has the best relationship with the media throughout the season. And he was easily picked um, by this this year's beat reporters for the Vikings. So Gabe, why don't you just give us a summary about what Dalvin Cook um, has meant to the team and, and kind of what he's going through right now? You know, he's he's the bread and butter of this team. I mean, he he did everything he needed to do for this Vikings offense. He's a, you know, the 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 route that he's going, he he could be a Hall of Famer one day. And I think that's that's his ultimate goal. Um coming out of the press conference, you can tell, you know, like anybody that's that's lost a parent. I mean, he he's still dealing with it. He's still grieving. He probably will be grieving forever. I mean, that's a that's a huge loss to anyone. 
But I, I think one thing that really stood out to me about Dalvin, you know, through this grieving process is that he posted, he still found a little bit of time to post something about football on his Instagram uh, account. And he basically said, whoever, whoever that person that didn't vote for me for all pro this year, you're going to fill it in 2021. So I, I think that's, that's Dalvin's mindset. And I think, you know, his dad wishing his dad could still be here. I think he's going to play with an extra chip on his shoulder this upcoming season for his dad. So uh, Vikings fans, look out. When he was asked this week about just what it meant to not make that all-pro list, he said, yeah, that's just motivation. Every rep that I take in the offseason, I'm going to be thinking about that exact thing. And when you hear that from a guy, just for all the great players, all the great playmakers, they play with that chip on their shoulder. I mean, I always remember Stefan Diggs talking about he knew exactly every single wide receiver that was drafted before him, before the Vikings took him in the fifth round. And that is something that always stood out to me, and, and that's what all the greats do. They play with a chip on their shoulder, and they remember things like not being selected as an all-pro. Uh, another thing that stood out to me in the Dalvin Cook press conference was uh, he talked about Gary Kubiak and the relationship that they had. And the way he described Gary was he said, he's just real. Like he's the realest coach that he's ever had, which uh, that's saying a lot um, with with all the coaches that Dalvin Cook has played under, uh, especially at, at Florida State. But I just I, I, I think there's going to be a huge void left um, by Gary when it comes to the relationship he had with the players. And and that's why I think Clint might be the best option for the Vikings at that offensive coordinator spot. But um, let's move forward. Let's look at what is going on in the world of the NFL first. I, I I really want to talk about the games that happened this week. It all started with an Aaron Rodgers-Tom Brady matchup at Lambeau Field, and Tom Brady came out on top, which for Vikings fans, I don't think it could have gone much better, Jay. I know you were watching the game. What what were your what was your main takeaways from the game, and, and how did it feel to watch the Packers lose? My first thought was, uh, how is Chris Corso taking this game? Because Tom Brady has been his nemesis forever. For 20 years of his life, he's ruined his life as a former Jets fan. Uh, but honestly, in watching this game, like you said earlier, it was one of the better games I've seen, especially championship games in a long time. Um, I know that, you know, that the Packers have been in some nail biters when it comes to dealing with championship games here in recent history. But what was so interesting to me on this one was everyone felt like, well, you know, Aaron's going to come out and sling it and Tom's going to have to be perfect. Tom was not perfect. You know, Tom, Tom was a three touchdown, three interception guy in this game. And the fact that the Bucks were able to hold on as, as tight as they did in the second half and make those plays that they needed to only giving up six points off those three turnovers from Tom, that was a huge, huge win for them. So that was a huge eye opener for me. I know that the Bucks defense has been playing really, really well, but I got super nervous when I saw Antoine Winfield Jr. not going to play. I'm like, man, Aaron's going to start targeting some of those safeties. And then during the game, his backup went out with an injury as well. So to me, I was just sitting there saying, you know, that the deck is stacking against him a little bit, but for Brady to do what he did and hit those deep shots and for Brady to, to do it when they needed it most, especially right before halftime, taking that dagger shot that looked like an Aaron Rodgers type play. That was when I went, this is why you want a guy like Tom Brady in here. He is 
there, he's a goat for a reason. He, this is not too big for him. And the fact he was able to do what he did in this game just showed and solidified why he is one of the greatest of all time. I mean, I have nothing to say when, when he wins that game at Lambeau Field as the five seed at his age at 43 years old. Um, I know he threw three interceptions. The The stat that stood out to me, like you said, Jay, was Todd Bowles' Uh, defense with that Tampa Bay Buccaneers on all three interceptions they were able to stop the Green Bay Packers offense and stop the momentum of one of the best offenses in the league but Gabe my number one takeaway from this 31 to 26 win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was when you have fourth down and you are down eight points in the red zone and you decide with Aaron Rodgers that you want to kick a field goal with only about, what was it, like two minutes left? When the fate of the game is in Aaron Rodgers' hands, I could never, ever understand putting the fate back into Tom Brady's hands. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that's why you signed Jordan Love, right? To take the pressure out of Aaron Rodgers' hands so you can kick a field goal. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's that. you really can't make that up, man. I mean, we saw Matt LaFleur said in a perfect role he wouldn't have done that, but you got to think in that moment, yeah, people say Aaron Rodgers probably should have ran the ball on third down. He probably would have got to the one-yard line if not scored. But at the same time, you, you trust your defense. Like, this is a really good defense. Granted, Kevin King wasn't having a great day, but they were making stops. I mean, touchdown Tommy turned over to turnover Tommy in the second half. And you, I, I would put the pressure on my defense in that situation. But in hindsight, right, you got the best quarterback in the NFL. I know Vikings fans don't want to hear that, but they are realistic with themselves. Like, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL. So why not give that guy a chance to to score some points? And that 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 was a huge turning point in the game. Um, we know that the next drive, uh, Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, they just ran the ball out and they did what they had to do. I, I feel like if you do put the ball in 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 Aaron Rodgers' hands again, if they if the Green Bay Packers defense makes a stop when Tom Brady has the ball after they kick that field goal, uh, I think Aaron Rodgers has a game-winning drive at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and sending them to the Super Bowl. And here's why for me, like when that happened in the game, like I was sitting with a, a couple people, we were talking about it and they're like, why are they kicking the field goal? I said, I don't know why they're kicking the field goal, but I understand a little bit. And it was because they had all three timeouts plus the two minute warning. And what they're banking on at that point, Lafleur is banking on the fact that we can get a stop here and at least have maybe a minute and a half left and let Aaron Rodgers do his thing. But I think that th- I think and I think the thing that that was a little weird in this game was they went for two points earlier in the game and they didn't get it. They went to Devontae Adams. I think they hit him once at like not out of nine times it was eight, either eight or nine plays in the red zone that they actually connected with him, including one that was kind of a back shoulder throw that that got dropped. And so they were trying to get him in the game, but but the Buck secondary was doing the bend but not break and kind of eliminating him and saying, we know this is the go-to guy in the red zone, so what are you going to do now if we stop him? And the fact they were able to stop him was the difference maker in this game, in my opinion. And I think that's why Lafleur and those guys probably got skittish because they're just looking at it saying, we're not hitting this all day, but if we need to, Take the points now. It'll be a five-point game, and then we're going to go win it. The problem is, is if you're within 10 yards and it's fourth and goal on the eight-yard line, you have to take that shot because even outside of that, then you have to get a touchdown again. You still have to get the touchdown no matter what. 
But the fact that that the Bucks were able to get a couple of first downs, run out the clock, that had to be horribly frustrating for him. Yeah, you got to think like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they scored on the opening drive of the second half. The next three drives, the Green Bay Packers defense forced a turnover. Interception, 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 field goal. Like I, I'm taking my chances with, with this Green Bay Packers defense and just didn't come up when, when they needed them to. The last thing that I have on this game, and I think you touched on it a bit, Jay, but the, the way that they stopped Devontae Adams in this game, I was watching it from just from an X's and O's standpoint and watching the way they they literally had a safety just like waiting behind the cornerback on every single play. Wherever number 17 went, they had a safety just follow, and he was pretty much like shadowing the cornerback, and they were saying anybody else – on this team, whether it's Valdez Scantling, whether it's Alan Lazard, which Valdez Scantling caught a big touchdown at the beginning of the game, but then he dropped a few um, after that. So, um, Gabe, I, I just want to throw this at you. Like, what did you see from an X's and O's standpoint? Because I was tracking it all game. I, I know what Devontae Adams is capable of. Obviously, all the touchdowns he had on the Vikings this year, but I, I noticed the way that they stopped Devontae Adams, and I thought it was brilliant. They ran a cover one, and the only team that can run a cover one against Aaron Rodgers is a team that gets a good pass rush. JPP and Shaquille Barrett, they put so much pressure on Aaron Rodgers. How many times have you seen Aaron Rodgers look uncomfortable in the pocket? And first and foremost, when you get a pass rush like that and then you're bracketing his number one target, like it, it causes problems. And they just frustrated Aaron Rodgers the entire day. It looked like a too high look. You got two safeties over top. But that one, that one other – so basically you had Mike Edwards shadowing uh, Devontae Adams over top and then Lucky Whitehead which is playing spy so you know who, whoever was not guarding their man Lucky Whitehead well Jordan Whitehead was right there to basically clean it up and we saw his two forced fumbles uh, during that game but they, they played the perfect defense they got the perfect amount of pressure I mean we all know Ndamukong too and Vita Vey when he got in a couple of plays you're, you're not going to run the ball on the on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense they only gave up 100 yards twice this year and one of those well once this year and that one time was against us they had the perfect defense to play uh, Bakhtiari-less offense. Kudos, Todd Bowles. Kudos, Todd Bowles is right. I mean, it was pretty impressive what he was able to do from an X's and O's standpoint, what he was able to do in the key moments with his defense. And Gabe, you touched on it. I, I couldn't believe Jason Pierre-Paul still has the the – ability to rush the quarterback the way that he did in this game. I mean, you saw him in the backfield like so many times uh, along with a bunch of the linebackers that that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have. I mean, they they made Aaron Rodgers really uncomfortable um, in this game. But going to the other game, a little less dramatic was the AFC Championship. The Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Buffalo Bills 38-24. to um, the game ended with Stefan Diggs pretty much watching the celebration at Arrowhead Stadium, which is probably the lasting image that I took from this game. And obviously the Buffalo Bills fans had the hopes and dreams of going to the Super Bowl. What did you see in this game, Gabe, from their offense? They weren't able to really um, get it going the way that they have in weeks past. They said, hey, Josh Allen, if you're going to beat us, we're going to force you to run. We know you don't have your starting running back. I mean, TJ Yeldon couldn't really do much. Um, so it was pretty much the Chiefs not beating themselves, and they almost beat themselves in that first quarter with that muff punt. Um, but the the Bills offense, it, there was really nothing they could really do to uh, try to get the ball to Stephon Diggs or Cole Beasley or any of those guys because they, they pretty much took that away. Tyron Matthew was always where Stephon Diggs was. 
And when you have your best defensive player facing your best offensive player while getting double team, your your best receiver is getting double team. I mean, it, it takes away pretty much any and everything you can do. So, um, just great adjust, great adjustments by this Chiefs secondary, this Chiefs defense, and I feel like that was pretty much the story of the game. I mean, this the, I feel like the score was a little bit closer than what the actual game showed, but it, it was just um, the Chiefs having their way, Chiefs defense having their way with this Bills offense. Yeah, you kind of knew that if the Chiefs defense was able to stop the high-flying Buffalo Bills offense that Patrick Mahomes was going to put whatever points on the board that he needed to to put up. And I saw a stat that he's averaging like over 30 points um, in every playoff game he's played so far, which is just unbelievable considering the career, how, how young he is and how simple he makes it look. So, Jay, I mean, it was the same story for this Chiefs offense, whether it was running the ball, devising up plays, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid, they continue to make some of the best defenses in the league look pretty much foolish and that was the same thing that happened in this game I mean to see little Tyreek Hill just freaking scooting and go all around the field it was the same story for this Chiefs offense we all know how insanely talented all of these players are in this league right to see a guy like Cheetah get out on that field and watch him make cornerbacks let alone linebackers look absolutely foolish like they have no business being on the field with him is mind blowing. That guy has another gear that's on top of everybody else. It's kind of like when you watch Lamar Jackson as a, a quarterback and he's running an open field and you're just like, man, quarterbacks aren't supposed to move like this. Wide receivers are supposed to have moves like this, but he is that next level. And so not only having that guy who's able to wiggle, get open, make you look stupid out in open field and, and pick up another 20 yards on top of that, when you're running around and you've got giant Travis Kelsey, who's able to go snag everything and run people over like that tandem of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey is just lethal. So the fact that your, your running game with, with Darrell Williams and me, Hardman and, and Clyde Edwards, Alaire, they didn't really have to do a ton for me. The feeling with this team is you can stop one, but we've got two or three more that are out there in open field and good luck. And, and, that's where this Tampa stopping a Devontae Adams and letting the other guys do what they're going to do. I that That's not going to work this way because of the amount of ridiculous playmakers they have at every single level. And the fact that you have to get a pass rush on Mahomes in order to try to stop it. And other than that, I mean, you are going to be having to play a shootout game against these Chiefs if you're the, the Bucks coming up in the Super Bowl. And I think whatever they, they do try to figure out in their game planning to try to combat this, man, good luck, because it is a very, very difficult thing to do. Jay, to your point, you didn't even bring up Sammy Watkins, like what he can do. But in, 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 you know, in opposition to what you're saying, the Buccaneers, like their weapons also like if you're an NFL fan this is the perfect Super Bowl like there is like this is there are so many storylines so many things to talk about Antonio Brown uh, Leonard Fournette Ronald like there are so many takes on both sides of the ball and, and for me the thing is 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 in a league that has kind of pivoted and shifted to become more of a high-flying passing league you've got the the old goat versus the new goat and I just think Either it's going to be Tom Brady absolutely cementing with an absolute steel door that he is and will be the greatest of our generation, let alone for the next potentially 40, 50 years. Or you've got the passing of the baton 
to the new dog who's going to be sitting there saying, I love what you did and I've paid attention to your career, but man, this is my league now. I just think what that's going to potentially turn into and the storylines, everyone's going to talk about it. But I, I, like you said, I mean, there's so many weapons that we haven't even touched on. I, I just think it's got to be super exciting for the league to be able to promote this thing coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So it was a super fun game. It's super exciting to see how this is going to go. I feel bad for the bills and their fans, like you said, Corso, but um, you know, Josh Allen didn't look comfortable. And I think that the chiefs defense made, made it look that way. So uh, the chiefs in the box, it's going to be an amazing super bowl coming up here. 325 passing yards, three touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes, 172 receiving yards for Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey had 13 receptions, 118 receiving yards and two touchdowns. You can start to go down the list. It's like they have the perfect skill position players. I haven't even talked about the running backs um, in Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who was injured heading into this game. Um, He had a rushing touchdown and then Darrell Williams, who's pretty much a backup running back who had a touchdown and 52 rushing yards. But Gabe, I, I can't help but think about the time that Patrick Mahomes played Tom Brady in the AFC Championship a few years ago, and it looked like the Chiefs were going to go to the Super Bowl. If it wasn't for D. Ford, um, the defensive end for the Kansas City Chiefs, jumping on a Tom Brady interception, uh, it would have been the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl, and obviously it ended up being the Patriots, and they went on to beat the uh, Los Angeles Rams in that Super Bowl. But I think Patrick Mahomes, Gabe, probably thinks about that game as he's heading into this Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Like this this not only solidifies that he is the best quarterback in the NFL, but like this takes him over the top of like superstardom. Like he's a superstar, but if you beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl where everyone is watching because, you know, during the times that we are in right now, I think this takes him over the top. I think my next question for him is like, when are you going to start getting bored? Because like, what, like what's fun anymore? But switch to the other side, Tom Brady. If he wins this Super Bowl, right? Like he's in the conversation for greatest athlete ever. Like, I mean, I mean you, you can't, I don't know, man. Like I'm getting excited to talk about it. And I'm like losing words. Like this is like literally the perfect matchup for, for the Super Bowl. Like you can't ask for anything better than this. New school versus old school. Jay just hit it right on the head. So, I'm expecting a showdown. I'm expecting um, a lot of points to be scored. I mean, with everything you just said about Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelce, um, Devin White and Levante David for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to have their hands full, and it's going to be, um, you know, are we going to see you know another false start by the Chiefs on a Tom Brady interception this time? I feel like that's what it, it's going to come down to one play. Like you, like Tom Brady doesn't doesn't choke in games like this, and we've seen what Pat Mahomes does in big games also. So it, it, there are so many things to talk about, and I'm expecting a big game. They need Antoine Winfield Jr. back in the biggest way for the upcoming game. And on top of that, just to, to once again piggyback off what you said, think about the fact of what Tom Brady just did. He left the New England Patriots, went to the Tampa Bay Bucks, who were 8-8, eight and eight, but also where they struggled was at the quarterback position was Jameis throwing as many touchdowns as picks in the previous season, walking into a new offense and basically taking them on top of rookies, including a guy like Tyler Johnson, who has definitely had a couple moments here in the playoffs and taking those guys, solidifying them, bringing in Fournette during the season and just kind of hodgepodging this team together and then saying, this is my time going through his first wildcard game and, and forever, if not ever, 
and getting to the Super Bowl with another franchise in the first season. The closest we got to seeing something like this was 2009 with Favre, but they didn't get the money. They didn't get to the Super Bowl. If Brady does this and goes to where he did with the Patriots struggling the way they did, it shuts up the conversation forever and it just further cements the fact that what he's doing in his career is special and whether whether he's broken your heart, you don't like it or not, it doesn't really matter. The fact of what he's doing is something special and we should all feel kind of proud and happy about the fact that we're actually getting to watch history when it comes to the football side. So Gabe, if he's not the best athlete ever, he will solidify and has in my mind solidified himself as the most successful athlete ever um, when it comes to the sport of NFL football. Oh, and he for sure, he won't be like Peyton Manning when he won his Super Bowl in his 40s. Oh, he, he's not riding off to the sunset. He's trying to get eight. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I can't see Tom Brady hanging it up after after this year. Growing up as a New York Jets fan, I can't say <laughs> that I've loved every moment <laughs> that has happened in, in, in this guy's career. But I did enjoy seeing him do it in another uniform. Um, other than the rival that I grew up despising <laughs> every single year, and that's for sure. But like you guys said, it's one of the one of the most interesting, intriguing matchups in recent memory. I can't even imagine having a more perfect storyline heading into the biggest game in all of sports. So I'm really excited um, for that to come up. We obviously have some off time here for the Vikings, but before we go. We're going to look at some way too early mock drafts, as we've talked about. Um, We have four mock drafts, um, four experts who picked for the Vikings at the number 14 pick. This is what Vikings fans have to get excited about. I know I'm excited about it. I personally think they go with the defensive end just because of the fact that we were really missing that pass rush this season, and Mike Zimmer probably won't let the front office staff go without getting his defensive player at this spot. Um, that is the way that Daniel Jeremiah went. He went with the edge rusher Gregory Rousseau at the University of Miami. And I've watched I watched every single Miami game this year because um, one of my best friends went there and I and I just enjoyed the run that they went on this season. This guy is an absolute beast. If you're talking about an athletic guy like Daniil Hunter um, coming out of college, I think this guy fits into that category. He's the reason why um, a a weak Miami defense uh, in the secondary this year had some success because of the pass rush he was able to put on the quarterback this year. So, um, Gabe, what do you know about Gregory Rousseau out of the University of Miami? Yeah, I've watched a little bit of his tape, and I mean, he I feel like he's very raw. 6'6", 265. Same, right? Yeah. yeah, like 6'6", 265. I mean, he does what he needs to do, but I think a guy, if he was selected, I think a guy like Andre Patterson would be perfect for him to refine some of his techniques. I mean, we saw Daniel Hunter when he came out. I mean, I think he only had, what, four and a half sacks in his career at LSU and seeing what he did for the Vikings. And then you got a similar body, a similar body frame in Gregory Rousseau who's played some big-time college football and is you know able to get to the quarterback. But you, you can see on film, that he, he can continue to work his hips. He can t- continue. You can tell his technique isn't there with his hand placement. He just He's just bigger than everybody. He just dominates everybody off the ball. I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, if he's you know getting a straight pass rush, he can reach over the offensive tackle's arm and, you know, grab the quarterback because he's taller and bigger than everybody. But I, I think there's going to be some refining to his game. He's very raw. He's very long. He's very edgy. Um, 
and, and he has a knack to get to the quarterback. So I think with that knack to get to the quarterback with his physical traits, I think there's a, a future star in the making if he drops to the 14th overall pick. Yeah, Miami had an incredible season. I mean, they only lost the game early to Clemson, and they pretty much took a 7-1 and record into that last game of the season against North Carolina, which they were not able to play well in um, at the end there. Which, But definitely a great season for, for him on the Miami Hurricanes d- defensive line. I'm looking at pro football focus, and they have a defensive uh, lineman out of the University of Michigan, Quitty Pay, who... I mean, I watched a decent amount of Michigan football as well. We all watch Big Ten being in Minnesota throughout the year, and I know this guy can rush the quarterback as well, Jay. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you saw with Michigan this year, that they were a little more buzzy than they have been. Crush the Gophers. But that's just it. So, like for me, you know, Michigan. I as a kid, I grew up a Michigan fan. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota, but I grew up a Michigan fan due to other reasons. Um, Long story longer, basically, and being able to watch some of their games even this year, one of the things you saw was they did have a little bit more of a, a defensive presence. And for a guy like this, a, a defensive edge rusher, what this says to me is think about the last couple drafts and what we've done the last couple of years. You went from basically four or five years ago having some top-notch guys like Everson and Jared and then bringing in a Daniil and letting them ascend into what they've turned into. This just points out to me the fact that we're seeing some of these big name guys. We've talked about this at the end of last season. We talked about it during the season that we're going to need to kind of restock and refuel some of these positions. And, you know, by going ahead and and grabbing a guy like DJ Wanham that we felt was a project last year, but he did show up in a couple of games, including that that big sack that he had against the uh, Green Bay Packers. I think having guys like pay and and being able to possibly revamp with these young guys like this this is potentially setting us up for you know probably close to a decade if you hit on a two or three of these big name guys and allow them to do what they do and rotate in i think it would be a lot of fun to see some sort of a big defensive edge rusher be able to come in here and and not only work with but but grow with guys like Daniel Hunter and Willikus and Wanham and some of these other guys we grabbed last year. I said it here first. Quiddy Pay is the most pro-ready defensive end in the draft class this year. Like, when you look at him on film, he can pretty much do everything you need him to do. I mean, he's quick with his hips. I mean, he can get around the corner. He understands the game. He has different – he uses different techniques to get around the tackle. Like, if you put on the tape of this guy, he he is ready to play. And with this Vikings defense, I think you need somebody who is, you know, a, a, a high motor guy opposite of Daniel Hunter because I feel like Afadio Denebo plays better when the pressure isn't on him. But when you put those four guys, him, Quiddy Pay, Daniel Hunter, and DJ Wanham together, I feel like this is a complete unit. Yeah, that's a lot to say for a guy who who you think is absolutely game ready for the NFL coming out of college. I mean, I did see a decent amount of, of his tape and, and what he was able to do at Michigan, and I know he stands out on the screen when you're watching the game, that's for sure. Um, looking at some of the other picks here, we have CBS Sports. They took a linebacker, which obviously – um, with all the contracts that the Vikings have to look at in this offseason. You never know 
what's going to happen at that linebacker position. We know Eric Kendricks and Eric Wilson um, played real well. Um, Eric Wilson's contract is up, so we'll have to keep an eye on what happens at that um, at that position with Eric Wilson because he was such a key part of what the Vikings did. And Anthony Barr was injured all year. But Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State, I'm pretty familiar with him as well um, with the success that Penn State has had years past. This year, Penn State wasn't so great. Um, Their defense was definitely better than their offense, but um, I know Micah Parsons gave is probably one of the best linebackers or regarded as one of the best linebackers in the nation. Yeah, and I I feel like he he fits more into a 3-4 scheme. Um, I I, I see a a lot of traction of him going to the Denver Broncos, but I think if he played here, they would probably try to move him to the defensive end position. Uh, Really good motor, very explosive. He makes me – he. When I think of him, I think of a guy like Von Miller, you know, not the tallest guy, but is long and rangy and is very uh, savvy with his hand. So he, he's a he's a guy right there that could actually make a lot of plays. I mean, in that Penn State defense, you know, they, they're very multiple. But I can see uh, Micah Parsons being – well, thriving in a 3-4 system. And if he does here, it'll be uh, at that defensive end position. Yeah, they have him listed as 6'3", 245 pounds at the age of 21. So I can't even imagine what kind of player this guy can be. Uh, I I know he flies around the field as well, and he's super athletic. So that would be um, quite the addition to the Vikings linebacker unit. The last pick is from Mel Kuyper, and I saved this one for last because everyone pretty much, uh, when they see what Mel Kuyper has to say, they think, there's a chance that it might happen for the Vikings. So he goes offensive line, USC, Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, definitely one of the best offensive lineman prospects in the nation. I know we're talking defense right now, though. Mm-hmm. I want to see a defensive player taken at this position. Uh, we know that Brian O'Neill is pretty much stapled in at the right tackle spot for the Vikings, and you have an elder Riley Reef. Um, who had some contract situation go on last offseason, was able to hang on at the left tackle spot. But um, I know the, the Vikings really need help at, at that interior spot, um, Jay, and, and that's where I think this guy might be able to help. Yeah, and that's kind of where a, a lot of people are pegging him. He's he's six foot four, three 315 pounds. He started as a, a left tackle and slid inside to guard as well at USC. So he's got p- position flexibility, which is something the Vikings always love to have. And, and having a guy like that, at, at the size that he is, and uh, you know, I, to be honest with you, I haven't seen enough USC football or paid attention to him this season. But the thing is, is if he can move in space, which is what they love to do with those interior linemen, that's going to be something that uh, they're going to have to take a long, hard look at. Yeah, coach is going to want to get some of his top flight defensive guys. But if you're telling me that some top prospects at offensive line are going to be potentially sitting there, given the amount of speculation that's already been happening about positions in front of us getting eaten up by quarterback picks and stuff like that, you're going to see some top tier talent possibly sliding down to that early mid round of the uh, first round. So hopefully with the Vikings, they've, they've got a plethora of talent that they can pick from and, and a guy like this with Vera Tucker. I think uh, he would definitely fit the bill if they feel like he's the right guy that could definitely pull the trigger. And I don't think anyone in Viking land, including the front office, would be probably sad about the fact that they they grabbed a guy like that with his pedigree coming out of USC. 6'4", 315 pounds. He lists him as either a guard or a tackle. I think he played a lot more guard at USC, but I think Mel Kuyper sees him kind of fitting in 
um, to to the guard position and maybe a long term answer at the left tackle position. Um, so he he's, he can pretty much play all around the Vikings offensive line. And the biggest thing he says is that he's a great run blocker, Gabe. I don't know if you watched a lot of USC football this year, but um, Mel Kiper lists him as a great run blocker. Yeah, I haven't watched too much of of his games. I watched a little bit of his film, and he he's very good in space. I mean, he's very good at getting to the second level. And um, USC did a lot of zone. They have a, a great – I mean, of course they run the spread, but they do a lot of zone run blocking. And I think that fits perfectly with, with what we have done in the past here. We, we don't know who the new offensive coordinator is going to be, so we don't know how things are going to change. Um, but he, he is very good in space. And like you said, like Jay said, he's moved to guard and he, he's done a great job. He's done a great job there. I, I think at the same time – He's a really good pass blocker also. A lot of people don't give him enough credit for his pass blocking. I mean, he did a great job at at USC. And now moving him to the inside where there's less space to cover, um, I I think there's a a great opportunity for him to succeed in this Vikings offense, both run blocking and pass blocking. It's always fun to track the names that some of the experts nationally uh, pick for the Vikings. I, I mean, I love doing it. I love college football. I've been watching a ton of it ever since I started working in the NFL because Saturday is our is our one-off day each week, so I always enjoy um, watching these guys, and, and I think Gabe and Jay have, have knowledge of, of some of these prospects, so I'm really excited to see uh, if the Vikings go either offense or defense because obviously there's needs um, on both sides of the line for the Minnesota Vikings, but there will be a lot to track, including the offensive coordinator search. We will see who will fill the spot of the legendary Gary Kubiak at that position. Continue to check out all Viking social media platforms for breaking news this offseason, whether it's free agency, the draft, uh, team news, transactions, more. We have you all covered on all of our platforms on everything you need to know at vikings.com. So thank you, Jay. Thank you, Gabe. We will see you next time on the Minnesota Vikings podcast.